Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the official podcast of The Playlist on IndieWire. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and on this episode, we discuss the recently concluded 2014 Fall Film Festivals at Telluride, Venice, and Toronto. But instead of a rote overview of the good and bad films at each festival, the theme of this episode is the reductive Oscar narrative that's become the dominant force at these festivals, and how we're all most likely part of that problem. To do this, I brought on four members of The Playlist team. Editor-in-Chief Rodrigo Perez, Managing Editor Kevin Jagernot, Features Editor Jessica Kiang, and our Oscar writer Ollie Littleton. If you're looking for more of our in-depth and wide-ranging coverage from Telluride, Toronto, and Venice this year, please check the rest of the Playlist blog. For just a taste of that coverage, here are all four guests' top films from their respective festivals. Jessica was at Venice this year. Her top films include Birdman, the Look of Silence, A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence, The Postman's White Knights, and the HBO series Olive Kittredge. She also feels quite strongly for, and is worried they, they may get lost in the shuffle, Far From Men, In the Basement, and Manglehorn. Ollie has the London Film Festival coming up in a few weeks, but did manage to see several movies at Cannes back in May that made their way to Toronto and Telluride. Of those, his favorites are Foxcatcher, Mr. Turner, the Tale of Princess Kaguya, Whiplash, and Pride. Kevin missed out on many of the quote-unquote big films at Toronto, as well as any movies that were covered at other festivals already. With that caveat, his favorites at TIFF this year were While We're Young, Top 5, Time Out of Mind, and Love and Mercy. Rod saw a lot of the big Toronto films in advance at Telluride this year, where his favorites were Nightcrawler, Foxcatcher, Wild Tales, and The Salt of the Earth. Though many of those titles, for the most part, seem to fall under the general consensus greats of these festivals, they, along with The Imitation Game, The Theory of Everything, Wild, and St. Vincent, have already set the Oscar machine in motion. Even though there's no clear favorite for the big prize yet, reading a majority of the coverage out there, one may think this year's Oscar nominations are already a foregone conclusion. But Kevin starts us off on this episode with a rejoinder to that. I'm not sure... If maybe I'm just paying attention more this year, or if it's just in, or if it's really actually a case of it being more pronounced this year, but there are still a ton of movies to come out in the next yeah, four months that are absolutely. potential contenders that yeah. no one has seen. Like we're talking American Sniper, Inherent Vice, Interstellar, The Gambler, Tim Burton's Big Eyes, which apparently Amy Adams is amazing in, Selma, Unbroken. Uh, yeah. Ridley Scott's Exodus, which I'm sure won't be a contender, but let's just pretend. <laughs> Eight or nine movies that no one has seen yet. Even if one of them turns out to be amazing, 
it, it changes the whole landscape of what we're talking yeah, about. Totally. I think that's a function of the narrative and people wanting to be, I wouldn't necessarily say first, but a 12 years a slave. I mean, people out of Telluride, I, I wasn't there last year, but they were like, we found our Oscar winner and they, people were declaring it straight there and then. The thing that I noticed in Venice this time, um, well, this is my first time in Venice, but the thing I did notice, there, there seems to be an awkward switchover that happens um, sometime after you viewed a movie where your job stops being that of being a critic and starts to suddenly be that of being an Oscar prognosticator. And right. I'm, I mean, I, I'm going to say straight up, I'm a horrible, horrible Oscar <coughs> prognosticator. I'm just terrible at that. And I'm, I'm just not, not that interested, to be honest, right. in, in a, a, you know, whether, whether or not something's got Oscar chances. I'm much more interested in you know, whether or not I liked it and trying to articulate the reasons that I liked or disliked this film. But there seems to be the sort of acceptance now that, that, it's, that it's like 50% of everybody's job. Is, you know, it's no longer simply to try and communicate how we felt about a film. It's now to also, it's like genuinely part of the remit to talk about that film in terms of its awards potential. Yeah. I, I find that even as the sort of, you know, the, the playlists Oscar guy, I find it borderline like reprehensible. The, the way that like you see out of Toronto, like a lot of, you know, reasonably serious critics, the, their first thought of the film, you know, coming out with a film will be like, Eddie Redmayne's assert for an Oscar or like, no, like talk about that after, you know, I want to know what the movie's like. I don't want to know what like a bunch, 6,000, like 60 year old, you know, screenwriters are going to make of it. Like, um, you know, there's a time and a place for that, but you know, it should be this, this period of time, you know, film festivals are amazing. And it's this wealth of stuff. that's being unveiled for the first time. Um, And particularly something like Venice where, you know, the last few years, it's only been, there's, it's been one or two Oscar movies there. You know, it's, it's been, last year it was Gravity, this year it's Birdman. It's a European international film festival mm. that kind of leans towards like auteur, auteur-driven stuff that is not going to get within a million miles of being nominated for an Oscar. And people should just talk about it on that terms rather than mm. being like, oh, you know, can Roy Anderson get a screenplay nod or something yeah. like? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah. it really it erodes the value of of film festival criticism. It, I mean, it, it erodes the whole conversation around it because suddenly, you know, just to be talking about the films in their in their own terms is not good enough because. So it, it somehow makes it like it's it's not good enough to have a, a buzzed about brilliant film at Venice that maybe even like wins a I don't know best director or something or doesn't but just like creates some buzz for itself there because it's not going to figure in the Oscar race as though everything in the world is funneled into the Oscar race and that's the only thing that matters um, and I mean surely that's like directly in opposition to what most film festivals stand for in the first place. Well, there's two things I think problematically is that people go into Telluride in Toronto. And there's a certain segment of people who are going in looking for what is going to win awards or what, or what the conversation is going to be around. And already, you're, I think you are setting yourself up for some kind of disappointment if a film doesn't match a certain criteria that you want it to. I think the perspective has become a little weird going into these festivals in terms of no one's really looking at the films so much as like the conversation around the films. Like for me, the most, the most annoying tweets that I sometimes see is like, I just saw X movie. It was great, but not an Oscar contender. Like to me, that makes, those are right. two totally different right. thoughts. Like that makes no sense to me. I don't know about, about you guys, but like I, not that I ever 
tweet that often about that kind of thing. But I this year going in, the, the, that narrative was already become annoying. So I made sure, like, and again, I don't know if I ever do this very often anyhow, but I made sure to, to never tweet uh, anything about Oscars. And in my reviews, I, 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 I uh, just, just refuse to, to put anything about, like, this person's going to be a contender or anything like that. Yeah, and I'm kind of the same way. But the, but the flip side to that is um, I don't think it's completely wrong to talk about the awards season because the people at studios, the people who are agents, the people who are behind these films are having this conversation months before we are really seriously having it. I mean, they're already figuring this stuff out in May and June and figuring out their campaigns. Like, this stuff is clearly planned. So I do think there's some legitimacy to talking about the films that will dominate the award season. But I do think that there's an, the approach to it, at least currently, um, tends to be one that is tends to be one that tends to dismiss films rather quickly. It right. tends to box certain films into corners. It tends to it tends to be really reductive yeah. rather than constructive. Well, the the interesting thing about the reductive nature of it, and it's sort of an, analogous to um, geek blogs and things like that, because they're. Um, you know, their uh, a lot of their uh, mo, I guess, is is well. This is what the audience wants, so uh, this is what we give them. And you can you can uh, put that argument against the fall film festival, like in in the way like the audiences they want to hear this stuff too. So um, it, it becomes a sort of dangerous thing. Like, are we or do we just feed the audience what they want, even if it's bad for them? I, I think audiences are complicit in it in, in a way as well and i think part of it is, is our responsibility to talk uh beyond that and 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 more than just that but there is a reductive people there there is a sort of reductiveness to like well people do want to know like well what is that what is the oscar player or for example like from a lot of our coverage from festival coverage uh, some of the reviews necessarily aren't as well read as like the recap that says what's the best what's the worst people just want to go like tell me what's the best tell me what's the worst i don't want to have to like dive into everything and that's unfortunate i'm not i'm not i'm definitely not advocating hey this is what uh this is what the audience wants so we should give them i really detest that sentiment so i'm not saying that whatsoever um but i think it's an unfortunate uh byproduct and and just i I think that's how some audiences are i wonder if if that's partly a, a byproduct of the size of these festivals and like particularly you know never having been um but yeah toronto in particular seems to be just unmanageably huge and it's yeah. kind of and the lineup and you know and there's there's a ton of great movies there but there's also a lot of padding you know starry padding where you have yeah. the Denzel Washington like action movie that's out in two weeks like premiere yeah what, what is the point of that being there yeah think, you or know? you have these there's this string of like movies with like b-level stars that will eventually be released by magnolia on vod next april like that's that's almost what i think of with like certain segments of the toronto program like these sort of films that that and you know people come out of them and they're like yeah it's all right you know and it ends up i think overshadowing a lot of the you know at somewhere like toronto which has this incredibly expansive lineup and like you know, uh, one of my favorite movies at Cannes was this uh, French-Canadian thing called Tudor Nicole. 
which was at TIFF, and fucking no one saw it because right. um, because and you know, and it's it's a Canadian movie, and you'd think that that would something that that would be something that Toronto would be shouting from the rooftops about, but it's you know, but it's on at the same you know, the press screening is on at the same time as American Heist with Hayden Christensen, so right. no one goes well, to see it or whatever. Toronto like, showed its cards about its Canadian. Uh, uh, nature uh, a few years ago. I mean, it, it used to be that the opening night film used to be uh, a Canadian film all the time, and then they dropped that, and then they started uh, including you know whatever big starry picture. And I get it, and I I I, I, uh, I get why they did that because I mean some of those Canadian films. I mean, Kevin will tell you they're just re- some of them were really really bad, and like just like you're opening the festival with that. So I, I understand why they, they changed their narrative and tried to go for something really starry and, and something that like really kicks off the festival. But yeah, uh, the, the Canadian nature of it, they've really sort of like, they've gone for the, 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 the starriness and the celebs and, and, the, and the buzz rather than uh, celebrating their own. I think Cam and Venice are, are you know, are, are pretty guilty of that stuff as well. Right. Um, you know, and 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 sometimes it's it's a question of you know, I think it, these festivals are useful for district uh, you know distributors to have the world's press in the same time. You know, it's 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 essentially a series of junkets for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I know people who go to who go to Cannes or go to you know Venice or or wherever, and it's they barely see anything because it's a whole it's it's just a series of junkets for them. Um, because they maybe live in a territory where they don't get to see the movie, uh, you know the, the 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 stars won't be coming to, you know Estonia or wherever. Right. Uh, but Ollie, they, if, if, if you're suggesting it. Ollie that um, that Grace of Monaco opened Cannes due to anything <laughs> other than its incredible quality, I'm going to have to take exception to that. Uh, I, I think I True think enough. we're touching on a good a good conversation about Toronto that really hasn't been had, which is. It has reached a point where it serves so many purposes. They're all working against themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, you're right, Ollie. There is a certain, there is a very big segment of foreign press who come, and it's their opportunity to see the movies very early because they may not open for months until, you know, months after the North American release, and it gives them a chance to talk to the stars. There's that. There is the awards thing, which TIFF really prides themselves on. They want to be the first. They want to be the place that studios can feel comfortable showing their big movies and and doing that. There is simply a major PR element which applies to stuff like the Equalizer. You know, why not? You know, show your movie two weeks in advance in Toronto, get Denzel to shake some hands, and there you go. You have some great publicity before your movie opens. And then there's an, another purpose, which is. And, and Tiff kind of prides themselves on this, even if they're not as vocal about it, is that they do like showing tens of smaller movies, even if they will open on VOD mm-hmm. next year. You know, you have to see it in a theater with a crowd. And the interesting thing about Toronto, and this is not something I've experienced elsewhere, is that there's not much of a line between the press and the public. So there are a lot of press who go to public screenings. You do end up rubbing elbows with you know, the regular people. And if you talk to people in Toronto who are regular attendees of the festival, they love it because they get to see these tiny movies that may not get distributed ever. And they really like that. They they will tell you if movies they've seen 
two, three years ago that they haven't that haven't been picked up, that haven't gotten the attention. So that is all great. But at the same time, like, for instance, I saw The Keeping Room, which is not a perfect movie. It has a lot of issues. But there's a lot of potential in it. There's a lot of great things about it. That said, you know, I wrote a review that was very mixed and, and highlighted the things that worked and things that didn't. But at the end of the day, tomorrow morning, is anyone going to talk about The Keeping Room? No. Toronto has become to a size where it has so many things operating at the same time that what comes out of it, and this is especially true this year, is that there's no, the conversation is really muddled. It's a really weird, it's a really unfocused conversation. And, uh, and I don't know what they need to do to, 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 you know, for next year and how to fix that. That's my issue with Toronto is that, and, and you can argue that, yeah, this is a, happens to every film festival, but with the size of Toronto, it's so much bigger than everybody else. It's just like, how well served is it? Some of these films, like that's, that's another point I wanted to talk, to touch upon is just like, you know, it's the festivals are about the films, right? That's what they're really, all, yeah, exactly. That's what they're supposed to be. It's not supposed to be about awards, not supposed to be about Oscars. Not sp- it's supposed to be about the films, but like how well served are is the keeping room or um, uh, uh, welcome to me, which is the Kristen Wiig movie. That yeah, got, like what? Got great what's a, how well served are these films? And what is a film that gets a decent review but not an amazing review? Like, but what if it's still a pretty good movie? You know what I mean? Like taken on its own, maybe if you would see it outside the festival, maybe it's like a perfectly perfectly good movie for what it is, but. Um, it doesn't really, you know, get its maybe its full due at the at Toronto. That's what. So I, that's my always my. I just lately, even even being at Telluride and, and just seeing the the noise of every festival, I, I sometimes just think like, how well served are these films? Like, is it a gamble that everybody does? And you go, well, if you hit big, you hit big. I mean, you hit, you know, huge. And and is it just everybody uh, takes that gamble? But it just feels like sometimes a lot, a lot of films don't seem like they're. Uh, very well served by the festivals. It just sounds like uh, like a microcosm for sort of the problem with movies and media in general right now. Like it's the market is so flooded, and Toronto is kind of the same way. It's just flooded with movies. Good films that deserve an audience are just getting lost because someone wants to go see The Equalizer because Denzel is in it, you know, or something. Mm-hmm. So. I think I I think I just saw a um a tweet from someone I can't remember who it was, but saying that. Uh, Next next Friday, thirty five movies are opening. Um, in in you know, assume that's in New York, but um, but yeah, thirty five and like you know, who who has the time for for Not us and what are the people that see the most movies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a few people who who um who've written about this in the last year or so, um, uh, you know, sort of saying that that in a way that the the, the sheer like quantity of stuff is killing the the indie the indie film industry. Yeah, Manila yeah. Dargis I think wrote a long yeah, about yeah. last year. I think it's probably just more a question of like more of these movies are being picked up because uh you know because they are because it's, movie theaters need to show movies, you know. Well, yeah, but also it's it's easier for for a company to make a buck off them on VOD and it's easier to make money on VOD if you have if if you at least play a thing in a theater for a week because you get a New York Times review out of it. Um so VOD maybe is has maybe exasperated this problem a little bit like maybe maybe in some don't see it as a problem but like 
there's more movies at Toronto, thus there's more things you could get on the cheap as a distributor to just plug into VOD and give it a week-long run, maybe, and then the market just gets more flooded because... Slightly, yeah. I think, I think, um, I don't know, I'm I'm still not, I'm still not sort of uh, sold on the whole simultaneous VOD theatrical release thing. I think, I think for certain movies it can be, you know, a film like Arbitrage did really well on VOD, something like Margin Call, and that sort of thing, I, you know, I can, I can see the benefit of, of it. But, you know, a lot of people were kind of trumpeting Snowpiercer this year, th- this summer as this sort of revolution. But, um, I, you know, I think they would have made more money if they'd gone straight to theatrical because you're not cannibalizing, you know, you're here, here you're sort of, you're, because you're hitting the markets at the same time, you're splitting the audience between them. Whereas I think, you know, most movies will have, a run at theatrical, they'll make X amount, then they'll go on VOD and they'll make Y amount. But and I think in the I think in the case of Snowpiercer, theoretically they may have like grossed more money, but they would have they clearly made more profit going VOD. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, theatri- remember, yeah. theatrical yeah. is just cost. Theatrical cost is astronomical compared to VOD. So I, I think I think they did make a savvy play with Snowpiercer, and perhaps it would have made you know a few million more, but. At the end of the day, at the, on the balance sheet, they would have made, they would have earned less. I think going going down the theatrical route, um, and I don't know. I, I I'm not so concerned with films going on VOD. Do I need to see arbitrage on, on a massive screen somewhere? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of being able to to sit at home and like order up some movies. Like I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the landscape is changing, and I, and I kind of like the idea that. Uh, I think it's due for a change. I think a change is good. I don't think it's necessarily something to be that we need to be worried or concerned about. And if it allows these kind of smaller movies to keep getting made, who am I to argue? Who am I? I mean, that's all. I'm, I'm all for it. What divides them from TV at that point? If it's but why if do it's, they need to be divided? Like we, like the line is already blurred. We have Olive Kitteridge playing Venice. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, why do they need to be divided? I mean, they're different mediums and they're those mediums are coming together they're uh becoming much more similar and that doesn't have doesn't have to be necessarily the worst thing in the world i mean they're just they're just stories we're just storytelling that's what people are doing surely then the offshoot of this and i i do agree i mean but surely the offshoot is that we're going to have a lot lot more things to criticize i mean we're going to have a lot we we started this conversation by by complaining about the number of films that are being made at the moment and Mm -hmm. if we are embracing embracing the blurring of the lines between cinema and television which i think we have to and if we are embracing the the notion that video video on demand allows uh, smaller movies to get made. Well, then the the future that we're looking at is is that there's going to be more and more films made. And, I think, you know, I don't think we were complaining necessarily about the number of movies. I think it's festivals in general being more curatorial about what they show. Maybe that's where the model for Toronto's is a little bit over. It's it's. I mean, it must be successful, but their model is right. just maybe not the best. yeah. Well, that's. To serve the films, you know. That's I guess that's one of my what I'd want to get back to a little bit is one of my my problem with Toronto is that it 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 um it wants to have it both ways and it wants to have it every way. It wants to be populist. It wants to have it its awards. Uh, it wants to have the, the the bragging rights to to all the to the Oscars, and it also wants to say like, hey, well, we also play you know uh, this these foreign films and these uh, these smaller things. You know what I mean? Like so, uh, that's what I think. Maybe Kevin, what you meant about the unfocused narrative? You're totally right on. I think it's 
I think it has become. It tries to be all things to all people. When it when I think it would benefit from perhaps. But here's the thing, though. I mean, the other thing too is that you know it doesn't make its money on showing like Roy Anderson movies. It makes its money from showing The Equalizer, for better or worse. Like yeah, sad Toronto, state of affairs since it's in you know thirty five hundred theaters theaters in two weeks. But uh, Kevin, I was just wondering, like from from your point of view, because you're on the ground there. I mean, uh, one one thing to discuss as well is you know how well has TIFF this year performed against all of those various agendas that it has. What is the the general sort of uh, takeoff of, of this year's lineup as opposed to last year's. I mean, Venice uh, had this sense, uh, there was, from the very beginning, there was a sense that Venice was not, didn't have a classic Venice lineup. We were like missing one other big, huge title in order to make it a classic year. So I'm just wondering how, how TIFF has, has gone down, how TIFF 2014 has gone down at that level. I necessarily didn't have a problem with the lineup. I think they, they programmed what they could. Um... I just think the quality of films wasn't necessarily up to standard this year, mm. which, you know, mm. they have no, they have no input on that. Right. Uh, it of was course, a lot. Kevin, like you only saw that handful True. of movies you saw. I could right. have seen 30 other movies that you didn't, you know, and it's, sure. it's like movies every year, right? Like you could see movies that I never saw and I could, yeah, it's, it is interesting. Like, I mean, aside from the things that either press, aside from the obvious, like Nightcrawler and, and uh, Foxcatcher, which, you know, got the rave reviews and all that. You know, things like Jason Reitman's Men, Women, and mm. Children, you know, Muted Response, The Judge, which opened the festival, no one was really keen on. It was a year of very, of that, it was funny, I was talking about this with some other people. It was very much a year where the films were like, yeah, it was okay, it was good. You know, like, nothing really broke out in the same way that 12 Years a Slave did last year. But then again, that conversation started in Telluride. You know, um, what's, you know what's funny is, do you not get the sense, um, and I certainly do, that like exactly what you're talking about is like a big disappointment to at least Oscar bloggers? Like, yeah, there's no front runner. Uh, everything's not oh, sure. clear. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Like, it, I get this well, really... Like, like th- that's why I was almost worried that you were saying that about the unfocused narrative. I think, from the Oscar blogging perspective, they're all frustrated that, that oh, there's uh, no that there's no there's no Twelve Years a Slave. There's no this. It's like, what is going on with this year? How how did we not have a breakout film? You know? Oh, yeah, but on the other hand, let's screw Oscar bloggers. I mean, no, sorry, Ollie. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Ollie. Ollie, we love you. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I say that Ollie's on the call. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I saw the Variety article two days after well, the festival started, which said, which was akin to there's no breakout film yet, and it was probably less than 48 hours after the things had actually started in Toronto. <laughs> like it was, it was absurd. It was absolutely absurd, and and it's indicative of how people are going into these festivals. And then, you know, I, I think it's fair to ask about Toronto and their lineup, considering they made a big deal about the whole premiere thing. But I think they did what they could. They had like I went into it being like, you know, a lot of the big films that were seen already in Venice and Telluride. So I went into it being like, okay, well, I'm just going to go see smaller things that I'm interested in. And for better or worse, I was mostly not disappointed, but mostly, you know, I didn't come away with any sort of like, oh my god, you guys, this unknown film from I don't know. Estonia. I don't know why we're picking on Estonia. Uh, <laughs> is amazing. Uh, 
But I don't think that's necessarily Toronto's fault. They have to work with what they're given, I guess. There was the whole stink of, or whatever you want to call these, these festival war thing. And, you know, two of the four films that have, I guess, if you would call the, you know, dreaded F word, the front runners are Telluride films, you know, Wild and uh, Imitation Game. That's been the narrative the last couple of years. Like it's been, you know, it was Argo, it was 12 years Oh, absolutely. But what I'm saying is Toronto tried to prevent that in any way. And essentially what they tried to do was cock block that from happening. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was, that was what they were trying to do. That that they were like, if there's going to be four runners, they're going to be Toronto films. They're not going to be other films. And since it's divided 50-50, I would say that their plan didn't quite work. But also that, you know, for the exact reasons that we've been talking about, I think a studio looking to launch an Oscar campaign is going to tend to favor Telluride because it's smaller, um, you know, and because it doesn't have this sort of wealth of world premieres. Um, well, right. You know, I, I feel like something like, you know, I, I, I feel like we'd be talking more seriously about the prospects of something like Pride or Love and Mercy um, if they had gone to Telluride before Toronto rather than getting lost in this sort um, of mill. I... I disagree. I think there's something that people tend to forget, which is Telluride is still an insider festival. If you ask anyone on the street about what premiered at Telluride, what's the big movie out of, they would have no clue. I think Toronto, if you really want to get like buzz, and I'm talking about PR, I'm talking about getting your movie on television in like quick segments from entertainment channels about what's on the red carpet, you go to Toronto. The problem with Toronto and Telluride battling is they still don't realize that they're they're not really the same thing. They're not, no. Which is why I, I'm sort of I am still kind of annoyed by the whole Toronto thing. Why this gigantic festival of 300 films is upset about this festival that, as you said, is an insider thing. It's much smaller. Yes, it dominates a lot of the press. And then again, at the end of the day, I what I ask is about all these decisions and all these uh, rules of these festivals. <laughs> Is there concern about the film? Is is are they doing the best thing for the film? Is that is it there is there motivations themselves or the film? And I think it's pretty obvious what it is. Right, but Jess, maybe you can speak to, and I think you kind of touched this on this a little bit. Is like Venice itself seems maybe it's more of a film lovers festival. I mean, it it's definitely smaller. Uh, is is that fair? Or am I am I well? I mean, yeah, I mean, Ali can also talk about this because he's been in previous years first. This was my first year at Venice. And I mean, it's, a, it's an absolutely lovely festival to attend. It's beautiful surroundings, like the most beautiful city in the world, maybe. Um, and uh, the, the slate is small. Um, and I, what I found interesting this year was that there was this general sense that, I mean, there was at one point Venice was mooted as a possible home for Inherent Vice and or Gone Girl, as well as Birdman. And I mean, that would have been an insane year if it had those three titles. I mean, that would have that would have presumably put it over the top of being like the biggest Venice lineup ever. Um, But as it is, it just got Birdman really out of those uh, sort of really, really high profile things. And so as a result, there was this kind of feeling um, on the ground that it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a huge focus on it as regards this this whole uh, awards um, conversation that was going to happen. But it did mean that it, it allowed it certainly for me, and I, I can't really compare it to anything having it being my first time, but it certainly felt to me like it was its own thing in a really nice way. Um, and 
and maybe it's the people that I was hanging out with as well, but like certainly amongst the people who I was talking to, there was a great sense of um, trying to avoid uh, dragging the films that we liked into this kind of, is it an Oscar contender conversation at all? Um, And it's something that maybe it's a slightly rarefied atmosphere. It's not, it's not in, it's not a North American festival after all. Um, but it, it's, it feels very precious to me. And a lot of what we're talking about, a lot of the, the problems that we're talking about are very specifically TIFF related, I think, because TIFF has just gotten so massive and is so geared towards this whole awards thing. And because Venice runs into TIFF, that has started to bleed into Venice. And what I would say really is that, you know, as critics, we can only, we can't necessarily judge what people are going to want to hear from us. And maybe they do really want to hear about a film's Oscar prospects. And we also can't control uh, how something is being marketed into these festivals. I mean, Kevin mentioned before about, you know, it is part of the marketing plans for these films a lot of the time, how they're going to be funneled into the awards uh, uh, conversation and they use their festival birth as a, as a launch pad for that. None of those things we have control over. The only things that we as critics have control over, as the only things that we can have any kind of integrity towards is just taking the films one at a time. And I know I'm sounding like a complete pie-eyed idealist here, but that is still, that is still something that is possible. It was certainly possible for me at Venice. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very glad for that. And it's something that I'd be worried seems to not be happening anymore at Telluride and at Toronto. And I don't disagree with you at all. And... Um, I guess my only thing was I would say is um, Telluride is pretty much I, I guess it's it's it is the same, but yeah, I mean because of the um, of the amount I don't want to understand like Cameron, but uh, like uh, the, the <laughs> there is a there is a, a contingency of uh, of uh, award season bloggers there that want to get the jump on everything, um, mm. but I don't know I don't I'm also there so I don't. Uh, it's also it's very like a super film lovers thing uh festival it's very you know i i hate to see telluride getting dragged into the into the 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 mods yeah yeah well or also just into that kind of like oh well it's an awards festival because Mm. it's not but i i you know i guess i can see how the perspective is uh yeah but i mean they're not poor old estonia they're not getting their films into telluride (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Jagerall, champion of the Estonian film industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Telluride is actually pretty tiny in terms of uh, amount of films and stuff, right, Rod? Oh, definitely. It's, uh, I think, well, I mean, they're also getting bigger, but they also, uh, they program a lot of, um, like in terms of like, uh, I guess if you want to call it premieres, even though they don't call it premieres or, or new films, there's maybe about 30, I think, oh, yeah. or less, or less. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh uh, vintage uh, classic stuff that they play too, like they played, you know, Apocalypse Now and the 35th anniversary, and there's a lot of there's a lot of cool things like that. You know, Francis Ford Coppola was there with Vittorio Storaro and um, uh, Walter Murch, and they had a conversation that James Gray moderated, and they talked about Apocalypse Now. And uh, hey, I let the uh, full, you know, I didn't go, so that's part of I'm part of the problem, you know. And I think this speaks to Tiff's. There's the breadth of stuff that TIFF has to the point where you kind of miss things. I mean, TIFF also had Douglas Trumbull giving a talk about, you know, the future of cinema. And they, had, they also had retrospective programming as well. But, but again, like, you don't hear about that stuff because everyone's talking about, I don't know, 
Jake Gyllenhaal on the red carpet or or whatever, you know? I'll, I guess I'll just say that I tell you right, everybody was aware of that. And everybody, like, I didn't even know that there was a D- Douglas Trumbull conversation at TIFF. Everybody was aware of all those things at, at, at Telluride, whether they went to them or not. Uh, it depends. I mean, you've only got two or three days there. And, and, you know, I was under the obligation to see stuff like, I think I had to go see Wild instead of the Francis Ford uh, conversation, which I, you know, deeply lamented. I, I think it, that's a one in a lifetime thing. And I, I mean, but so. Yeah. So Rod was the, deci- I mean, the decision was probably an obvious one. You had to cover that film and it would have brought it brought more attention to us as opposed to if you would have done a sort of rundown of that Coppola discussion, right? Right. Probably, yeah. I mean, uh, right, like, which is a damn shame because why can't we? It's it's a, it is a shame, you know, like because that would have been really awesome original content to have s- some coverage of that Coppola thing. But you know, yeah, I tried to send another of... writer to it. Actually, we were the, we were the whole first day. We were the first two days. We because they did the conversation like twice. And the first two days, me and uh, the other writer, Chris Willman, were sort of like debating about, okay, when we can, one of us would go to do it. And um, it was actually quite a bit of uh, anxiety for me because at one point I was like, I'm just going. I don't care. And then <laughs> I, uh, I decided not to and he was trying to do it and he couldn't. And uh, yeah, those first two, there was a lot of actually confusion for me in those first two days because of trying to, to fit that in. And then I eventually just couldn't do it. The retrospective programming at festivals in general is is always, I don't know, it's like a tease at the beginning where you get the schedule and you look at this, all their, their amazing retros that they're doing and you're like, yeah, no, sure, no problem. I can I can see seven movies every day and I can fit in like a, a, ret, a Robert Bresson retrospective because they, they, they were showing Mouchette uh, like on the last day of, of right. Venice. But I mean, you just, you're never, ever going to be able to get to one of those. Although actually I will say in Venice this year, I, I got quite some fun um, uh identifying by the sort of sheep-facedness of the various critics, the ones who had skipped one of the competition films. It was one of the lesser buzzed about competition titles. And I mean, we're talking Venice here, so that's like zero buzz. Um, (laughs) And it's had obviously skipped out and uh, all turned up quite red-faced having gone to watch the uh, reissue of Guys and Dolls. But um, for, for most of those critics, I think going to see Guys and Dolls and like watching it on the beach at the Lido, um, and it's a, a fantastic uh, uh, re- reconstruction of a, 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 um, uh, was was one of their high points of it. But of course, they can't you know they can't write a review of it unless they're involved in the very specific uh, business of writing reviews of reconstructions of musicals. But um, you know, so so there's always these really, really mouthwatering lineups of, of uh, retrospective stuff. It was the same in Cannes as well, and you just never get to see it. I think it's lovely for the people who are living there or for the public who are going to these festivals, but critics in general don't seem to get to, to, to that very much at all. It's a shame. Don't, don't you think that's such a – well, it is a shame, as you said, and, it, and it's all that stuff is so rich that it could make its own mm. film festival. Of course. And it's just like, God, I would go there. And there is, there is one of these festivals. Somebody was telling me about it somewhere where they just do nothing but like classic films. And so, you know, you're not going there to cover any news and there isn't a red carpet and all that kind of stuff. But then again, you know, we can't sell that. Nobody's going to read, you know, me rhapsodizing about, about Mouchette. Are we becoming a part of the problem then? By not- yes, probably. Of course yeah. we're part of the problem. <laughs> well, we're certainly not part of the solution, Eric. <laughs> Well, if they had if they had some sort of uh, festival like that, where you had people like you know Francis Ford Coppola showing up and 
and if you had, if people were alive, you know, because, you know, obviously Versailles not here, but uh, mm-hmm. if there was some sort of festival like that, that might be interesting, right? Where you had players That's the, that's the TCM festival, isn't it? Yes, right. Yes, yeah, I guess. Hey, there you go. Yeah. There you go. And, and we don't go, so we are part exactly. of the fucking problem. Yeah, we don't cover that one. That's one we don't cover. <laughs> I did. Uh, uh, wait, wait. Uh, when we're talking classic movies, you mean like 1990s, right? Movies <laughs> <laughs> were made before the 90s. <laughs> on my on my Venice coverage last year, I got a lot of uh, several times. I got a very very angry commenter going, "Why haven't you reviewed the restoration of sorcery yet?" <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I remember that. You know, there's there's an audience of one guy out there. I, he apparently just wants me to, you know. Oh well, those comments up. were from me, though. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I think you guys just did maybe to close up this sort of idea real quick on on this like bringing older films could make its own festival is like that's even easier this day this day and age of like DCP like digital restorations of these films. It's like a reason to mm. show them off again, you know. And DCP means that. There's a vast array of stuff that, um, you know, that can be shown that maybe hasn't been seen for, for years and years. There's actually, well, there's one thing that I just wanted to say to get back to the Venice versus Telluride versus TIFF conversation that we were having. Um, because, again, I guess with my pie-eyed idealist hat on, um, what I think is interesting uh, now, I haven't I haven't followed our TIFF coverage like to the to the letter, but I mean, from what I can glean, even from what what you've been talking about here, um, Venice is you know whatever it's a, a third the size of of TIFF um, in in terms of the number of titles it has there. Telluride is smaller again, um, and the, again, as I was saying this this year, there was the sense that it, it wasn't a classic lineup for Venice. But for me, like there are there are there were certainly two films that are kind of inarguably brilliant, huge films that are going to figure in some way in the awards uh, conversation, if that's what we're talking about. And I know we're not, but but. Um, that came out of Venice this year, and they are Birdman and The Look of Silence. Those two films are 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 going to continue um, being talked about for you know uh, for the rest of the year and and beyond. Um, and I think that that's interesting because it seems to be more or less maybe there's there's only two or three titles coming out of TIFF this year that have the same kind of weight behind them. And I'm not just talking about here. Here's where I'm specifically not talking about awards because. I think, again, if we're really going to try and, you know, be the people, be the change that we want to see in the world, we should just be talking about these film festivals on the basis of what are the great films that we have seen that have come out of them and forget about their awards chances. And yeah. I mean, certainly those those two films and obviously then for, for me with the, the Roy Anderson film, I mean, I would even say the Roy Anderson film is a slightly different thing because it's such a rarefied, uh, auteurist thing, but but... The Look of Silence and Birdman are, they can be massive. They can be absolutely massive in their respective genres. Um, and I think that it's really to Venice's credit this year, um, despite all of the narrative about how it wasn't that classic a lineup, that it has, for me, certainly as many truly brilliant films that you can hand on heart, like stand behind and say these are great and recommend wholeheartedly that people go and see as something that is three times the size, like TIFF. Yeah, I think it's I think it's sort of interesting in that the way I, the way I sort of think about that is you come away from a year, you know, and let's say in thirty years when you look back at twenty fourteen, what are the movies that like you know that 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 were that that were that year for you know for for many people or, or for cinephiles at least? And last year, I think it skewed it in a way because 
those movies probably were Gravity and 12 Years a Slave, which mm. ended up being the two Oscar frontrunners, which is not always the case. Exactly. My, feeling, my feeling is this year, we either haven't seen those films yet, or we saw them six months ago and it's Boyhood and maybe Grand Budapest Hotel. And I, again, I'm not talking about awards prospects. I'm sort of talking about the the films of the year. Zeitgeist uh, movies. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, Birdman, like you say, Birdman and, 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 and Look of, not Look of Killing, Act of Silence. Look of, look of Silence. Fuck, it's called. <laughs> Imitation of Everything. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think maybe Birdman is one of those movies. Look of Silence certainly sounds like it will be in the way that Acts of Killing was a, a year or two ago. You were saying how it's sort of it's it's harder for Oscar, someone like me who has to write about the Oscars for fucking six months. <laughs> and, that, and you know, I think that is a huge part of the problem now. Is that is that you know the, the ceremony isn't until the beginning of March. Uh, it's things start off in in at the end of August, and and you know there is this, um, and yeah, you know, it's I think some people are bemoaning the fact that there isn't a front runner yet that makes my life a lot easier because I don't have to drag out 12 years of slave versus gravity for, but you know, between, <laughs> between the end of August and the end of February, right. like, um, you know, so I, I, to me, it's exciting. I think there's, you know, there's, like Kevin was saying, there's still a lot of big movies and, you know, and, and other stuff he hasn't mentioned fury and, um, kill the messenger. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, you know, I think there's good stuff good stuff to come still. I know I kind of picked on Toronto uh, a bit in this podcast, but I just want to say uh, it actually is a, like, I really like going to it. Uh, it's, I find it to be a far more social festival than, than can, which I guess is the other big one I've been to. Um, especially because uh, you do get a chance to actually talk with not only your press colleagues, but also, you know, people who are cinephiles who are just regular everyday folks who are really into movies who are going to these things as well. Um, because as a, as a press person covering the festival, you do end up seeing a lot of the public screenings because you're invited by PR companies or whatever. And so I think it's a reminder that it's a nice reminder that there are people other than ourselves who do appreciate adventurous filmmaking or, or good storytelling. And I think Toronto is also an opportunity to remind both to remind ourselves as people who cover these festivals that sometimes it is worth digging um beneath the sort of bobbles the shiny bobbles of the main lineup of the stuff we're supposed to cover which we'll have to do no matter what because you know beneath all that it's i I find it really one of the fun things for me is going into those smaller movies that i may not know about but hey it has brit merling in it and i don't really know anything about this and going in and actually having a sense of discovery about something and i think that's and i think trying to keep that sense of discovery and that sense of adventure whether you're at a festival or not is uh really important uh in terms of preventing becoming cynical or just sort of disengaged with what's going on and is that not the way to keep us honest too is to remind ourselves that that's that those people those the cinephiles who you, you talk about like just the ordinary cinephile on the ground those are the people technically that we should be writing for and not the the marketers who have decided that their film needs to be in TIFF because it's got awards prospects or whatever it is because i mean that's that's surely not our remit surely our remit is to talk to the the people who are just going because they love the movies and we love the movies too 
Yeah, completely. I guess the if I, I just maybe the irony or, or whatever is that what Kevin is saying is exactly what Telluride is. I mean, um, like it, just to remind you guys, like there are no press screenings in Telluride. Um, you pay for your badge. You are um, one of the public. The press get a, a few little perks. Um, you get like a few little. Um, you get I think five or six uh, like little uh, badges that sort of let you. Um, queue faster in a patron's line and anybody can be a patron. And it is, so there's a sort of democratization there. Um, yes, there's a lot of press there, but they have very little privilege. Um, there are, again, no press screenings. Um, the, essentially what the, if there is privilege there, it's the patron screening and that's, you basically pay more for that. Everybody pays for a badge, press included. Um, and I, I know that a lot of people, uh, critics, I, I've seen some, go like why would i go to a festival that makes me pay and uh like what is the advantage of doing that and i suppose i i see that but there's certainly uh i mean if you value community and you value like um an environment that is very uh you know film lovers uniting coming across the whole country and traveling uh from you know far and wide to get there um I think that's one of the the things that you can't uh, uh, quantify or qualify about uh, 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 Telluride. It's like that that experience is in itself is is pretty awesome. It's it's a very um, even though like for example I had a mixed year I because I didn't see a lot of stuff that I totally love, but the experience is is uh, it's really gratifying. Well, I mean, I, I, I think I should say here as well, because I'm, I'm probably the most privileged of all of you guys, because I have gotten to go to some of the really small festivals. I mean, and the, you know, the Gothenburgs of the world or, or Marrakesh or things like that. And, and, and I, Carlo Vivari, which is a fantastic, you know, really a huge, um, really young festival. There's so many, you know, there's like queues outside the door for, and, and everything there is pretty much a public screening. They have a few press screenings, but mostly it's a public festival. And I mean, maybe we should be doing a thing where, where any one of us who, who covers one of these big things as, as a corrective should also go to one of the very small ones, because it really, you can't, you can't forget that if you go to these things, that, that the that film festivals perform a function outside of, you know whether or not something's going to be an awards player or even outside of our very rarefied world of criticism that they're actually they are a really vital way for people in some far-flung corners of the world to stay in touch with with cinema um and they are really really passionate about it and and i think it's very difficult to forget that if you go to those places yeah yeah you're here yeah here, here, Jess. Um, Jess, I am constantly jealous, by the way. Uh, you are privileged, damn it. But uh, if I know, your writing man. wasn't so stellar, uh, I, I would be a lot more jealous. You know what oh, I mean? I'd be, you. I'm, hey, just, and that goes for all of you guys. Like, the thing I really wanted to bring up is, like, what I love when I'm reading our coverage of festivals is all four of you and plenty of other writers on the site. Like, the excitement that comes off of the, not the page, the computer screen when I'm reading a film that I didn't know about that you just discovered, that's what gets me excited. And those are the films that I put on my list to see whenever I get to go to a festival or if the film comes my way. So we can keep doing that and hopefully we will break through this, this, uh, the, the noise as best we can. And I think um, another thing to consider is uh, for general audience too, is that 
what we need as opposed to what we want in movies can be a vastly different thing. And mm. Sometimes you just need to eat your vegetables and maybe give something a shot that doesn't sound on the surface like what you'd, you'd be into. And we're becoming a, uh, a cinematic society, oh boy, uh, of like people that just want what they want, you know? And uh, let's, let's try to move past that. That festivals should breed discovery. And um, like I said, I love, that's why I love reading uh, the coverage here. So, um, well, thank uh, yeah. you. Keep it up, you guys. That was kind of the, the, the formed the basis of the conversation that Rod was having with Mark Harris on Twitter, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. about like how much, you know, we should be championing films as opposed to talking about films as uh, awards prospects. And yeah, it wasn't exactly what that conversation was. <laughs> I'm not going to bring it back up and get into it because his thing was more about like, why can't other people be awards contenders? And his thing is about like, shouldn't there be other people who are uh, shouldn't these smaller 10 films, shouldn't they be part of the conversation? But that's a whole other podcast because it's simply like, well, the Academy is not going to vote for yeah, that for I mean, a, a million innumerable reasons. And is that, is that, that is that question then like how much power do like bloggers and critics have? They, that and they, and that was also part of my thing with Mark was it's like, look, we don't, I'm, I'm not yeah. saying I'm giving up. I'm not saying I'm, uh, I'm not going to, uh, um, not champion these people, but I'm not also not kidding myself. You know what I mean? Yep. Like there is, uh, there's 10 films probably that, that, that are, I mean, I guess you, because there's 10 nominees, but you know what I mean? There's like a handful of ones and they're the obvious ones. And every once in a while, mm-hmm. something, uh, that's not obvious sneaks through like, you know, a Haneke and, uh, Ben Zeitlin getting best director. But for the most part, this stuff is pretty preordained. Yeah. And, um, you know, fuck Marion Cotillard for the immigrant. Yeah, I would love that. Not a fucking chance in hell for reasons that like we could do an entire podcast about. And maybe we'll do that some other time. You know what I mean? But like, and that and that's completely unfortunate. That's that's like tragic. It's sad. But that movie has well, that's an actress absolute, who's won an Oscar before. Yeah, you know? yeah. That movie has no shot. And especially that, because it's a bad year. It seems to be a pretty a pretty poor year for female performances in general. I mean, it certainly was in Venice, but. Anyway, different thing. Yeah. Different thing. yeah. Well, well, topics that we could talk about maybe some other time because it's a mm-hmm. lot of things to just consider. Well, great, you guys. I, I, I think we should wrap it up there. And, um, happy, and happy, birthday, birthday, happy birthday to you for Kevin. Yeah, happy yeah. thanks. Yeah, let's close off with a happy birthday. That's very that's uh that's good. Is it your birthday? Uh yes it is. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> thanks. What a way to spend it with all of us. Yes. That was the plan. <laughs> almost believed you. Almost believed you. Ali, I, I, I feel bad if you didn't get to talk much in this episode, but we. we oh, it's right. I'll have actually seen the films uh, by the next time we do this. I hope so. Um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, I will have too. You know, and uh, we, Ali, good luck with your Oscar coverage moving forward for the next uh, oh, God, half a year. Yeah. Exactly. Add reverb to my voice and lots of dubstep. That'd be great. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know how much dubstep I have in my collection, but I'll try. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, guys. Well, cool. Um, and great job, all of you. Thanks. Thanks Bye, guys. Right, cool. Take Bye. care. Bye. 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 Bye.